Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday evening. It is March the 4th, 2022. And my goodness gracious, the situation in Ukraine keeps getting worse. Um, The carnage, incredible, the damage, the insanity of Putin's war against Ukraine uh, seems to have no limits. As you probably know, overnight, Russian forces attacked and seized control of the largest nuclear reactor in Ukraine. Uh, it, it generates 25% of the electrical power used by the citizens of Ukraine, even as cities are being reduced to rubble. Uh, as one of the commentators noted, if you look at the videos of Ukraine, it almost looks like something out of World War II. And here we are. The United States and NATO um, have their hands tied because of concerns of being dragged into a broader war, Um, nuclear weapons, God only knows. With Putin, apparently everything is on the table. And and the first thing that you need to understand about Putin is that for all the second-guessing and all the suppositions, nobody really knows what is going on inside his mind. But I can tell you uh, that, as my partner used to say, one of my partners, we would look at the situations of some of the characters we were going after, and we were arresting some very dangerous people, transnational fugitives and gang members and drug cartels. And he'd look at the situation, he'd scratch his head, and he'd say, Mike, I don't know what the color of the sky is in this guy's world, but sure as hell it's not blue. The sky in Putin's world is not blue. And um, if you look at the images of a meeting with people, he sits at the far end of a table uh, that's almost long enough to play football on. He's afraid to have anybody get near him. Um, Some people thought it might be COVID. Other people believe it's because he's concerned that even the people in his inner circle might try to kill him. What an existence. What an existence. When you understand the depravity of this individual, you realize that everything is possible. Will he continue on into Poland if he finishes up Ukraine? We don't know. We have no idea what's in his playbook. He might not even know what's in his playbook. But he has strong resentment because Russia was chopped up after um, the Soviet Union dissolved. And I really believe that for him... He is inseparable from Russia. He believes he is the country. Anything done to Russia is something done to him. He takes it very personally. And he's on a rampage. And he doesn't care about the men, the women, the children that he's killing, collateral damage. He did it in Chechnya. He's doing it here. I mean, this is a very serious problem. And what do we have for leadership in the United States? The dynamic duo of the president and vice president, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. And don't for a heartbeat believe that America's adversaries aren't paying attention. In fact, the uh, online news site, The Hill, published a report. This was on February 26, 2022. The headline, 
former Russian president threatens to retaliate with sanctions against the West. Let me read part of this article to you. The deputy head of Russia's Security Council said Saturday that Russia may respond in a hostile way to sanctions from the U.S. and European Union, the Associated Press reported. In a post on a Russian social media site, Dmitry Medvedev said that Russia is considering leaving its latest nuclear arms deal with the United States, cutting off diplomatic ties with the U.S. and the EU, and freezing the assets of Western countries after many of them condemned Russia's invasion of the Ukraine on Thursday. Medvedev added that Russia was mulling restoring the death penalty after being removed from a European rights group. Quote, we are being driven out of everywhere, punished and threatened, but we don't feel scared, Medvedev, the former president of Russia said. Medvedev claimed that the U.S. had been, quote, cowardly in leaving Afghanistan and was using sanctions against Russia to make up for, quote, shameful decisions it had made in the past, according to the wired service. He described the Western sanctions as a show of political impotence. <clears throat> and the article goes on, but the point is, what happened in Afghanistan, as I've written about, has had a profound impact on how the world views the United States. America had never in its entire history left any situation the way we left Afghanistan, and there was no reason for it. We left like a dog with our tail between our legs. We caused God knows how many hundreds, perhaps thousands of people to be stranded in Afghanistan, including Americans, including lawful immigrants, including those who had helped us while we were there. We left behind billions, tens of billions of dollars of weaponry, the latest, the best and greatest. And we allowed 5,000 terrorists to be freed, and we allowed the Taliban to regain control of Afghanistan once again turning it into a base of operations for ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and other terrorist organizations. There's not a single victory to be had in the way we left, and there was no reason for it. If the military had stayed behind, if the weaponry had been moved to the United States or summarily destroyed, if we had transferred the prisoners, the terrorists, to other facilities so that they wouldn't be back on the battlefield, and some of them are now part of the Taliban government in Afghanistan. Think about that. We keep talking about if, but that's not what the reality is. To give the vulgarity, but there's a Yiddish expression that says, if my grandmother had balls, she would have been my grandfather. If. If Biden wasn't the president. If Biden had a moral compass. If my, Biden was a leader. If. But that's not what we're dealing with, and the world knows it. They smell weakness. And the one thing that a bully always understands is weakness. Churchill warned about it when he delivered his famous speech about the Iron Curtain descending on Europe. And he warned the Allies, warned the United States. He said, Russia only understands force. They do not respect weakness. They respect military force. You better show them force or else. Churchill, of course, was right. We showed cowardice, or we didn't. Our president did. He showed disorganization. I'm not sure what he really showed, because I'm still trying to understand why in the world we left Afghanistan the way that we did. Our soldiers had the bravery and the valor that 
is incomparable, typical of our armed forces. They did everything right. It was the guy at the top of the food chain who screwed the pooch. Uh, Another Yiddish expression, when the fish goes bad, it smells from the head. So the world is watching, and what they see is an empty, fumbling suit standing in front of the microphones. I watched the State of the Union address, and it was outrageous. Biden actually confused Iran to Ukraine, made lots of other mistakes, sounded like a drunk slurring his words, talked about securing the border and going after the drugs. And before we talk about Ukraine and about Russia and about the threats that the world is now facing in large measure, because America did more than blink, we took a nap. We really did. We're now relying on Russian oil and Iranian oil, and Biden wants to get more oil from Iran, even as he's rushing to a nuclear deal that will probably give Iran nuclear weapons within a year or two. Not good news for America, not good news for Israel, not good news for the world. The largest state sponsor of terror is racing to get nuclear weapons, and they're crazy enough to use them. Then what happens? Then what happens? But when Biden talked about immigration, and when Biden talked about the borders and the drugs, uh, well, my goodness, I I had to step up because I I will tell you that the DEA official website posted some interesting statistics because they are uh, coming up with a new operation called Operation Overdrive. I, I just love all these fancy terms. Uh, I remember years ago when George W. Bush created DHS in such a bad fashion that I came to call the Department of Homeland Surrender. Of course, Bush looks like a hero compared to Biden. Um, Anybody would look like a hero compared to Biden. But um, I said that all of these various operations that sounded macho were really something that you could call by one name, Operation Backrub. All this was was being done was to try to convince the American people that the government was acting to secure the borders and force the immigration laws and protect us. And this was in the wake of 9-11. I'm not going to waste time today telling you that the way the DHS was put together by George W. Bush violated the Homeland Security Act, the enabling legislation, divided immigration law enforcement right down the middle between Customs and Border Protection and ICE, never should have happened, never should have included other agencies. And John Hostetler, the chairman, Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, a hearing where I was testifying, he made the point that the way the DHS was put together by George W. Bush violated the Homeland Security Act, made it impossible to secure the borders, made it impossible to enforce our immigration laws, and therefore made it impossible to protect the American people. That was the Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, a man I worked with um, very well. I did a bunch of hearings for him, and in fact, when he ran for re-election, Uh, The Republican Party was not funding him the way they should have, so I actually went to Indiana to uh, campaign for him, with him. Unfortunately, he lost the election. But he was right about that. But uh, what I had said about this being Operation Backrub, I told that to a, a reporter from overseas, and he called me up and he said, you know, Mike, I was sitting in the White House, I was listening to the president speaking, and he started to talk about these new operations, and immediately he said, I thought of Operation Backrub, the term you gave them, and I almost got thrown out of the White House because I started trying to choke down a laugh, and I, and I couldn't control myself, and everybody in the room looked at me as though I was nuts. 
because there's the president, and there I am, not me, but this reporter telling me the story, kind of giggling under his breath because he thought, my gosh, here we go, Operation Backrub. So now we have Operation Overdrive. And what does he talk about? Identify criminal drug networks. Well, that's great. And then what? Well, investigate and enforce the laws. How many agents, how much money are you allocating? God only knows. And what laws? The immigration laws are off the books. Now, remember, I spent half my 30-year career with the Immigration and Naturalization Service, first assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA, four years. And then after that, I was promoted to senior special agent and spent more than 10 years assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. We had immigration agents on board because immigration laws are essential to combating transnational gangs and international drug smuggling operations and human trafficking operations because they are vulnerable to immigration laws. You want to get the guns off the street? Great. An illegal alien found in possession of firearms or ammunition is looking at 10 years in jail under federal law. If somebody was deported and comes back, they're looking at almost at, uh, up to 20 years in jail. I helped Aldemato write that law. If a terrorist commits visa fraud or immigration fraud, they're looking at up to 25 years in jail. Why in the world wouldn't you want to have those laws at your disposal to hammer the drug traffickers, the human traffickers, the terrorists, the transnational gangs. This is worse than tying one hand behind your back. This is handcuffing yourself behind the back. So the president talks about, we're going to secure the border, and then we're going to give amnesty to everybody so we reunite families. We have no idea who these people are. And as I wrote about it, we're going to talk about it momentarily, and I spoke about this last week, my concern is that saboteurs are probably in position in the United States or are coming here across our borders and not just the Mexican border to carry out attacks in the United States if Putin decides that we've committed a transgression against them that justifies him doing damage within our borders. He is absolutely in the position to do that. And if he won't do it, Iran that has sleeper agents in the United States might step in and, and, and do the dirty work for him. This is because of Joe Biden's immigration policies, failure to secure the borders, failure to enforce the immigration laws. And you have Alejandro Mayorkas, the head of Homeland Security, saying that if people lie on applications for U.S. citizenship, a tactic used by many terrorists, so they have two passports, which facilitates their travel around the world and gives them the ability to operate easily within our borders. He said, if we catch you lying, we will take no action because you are an American and we will protect you. We will shield you and we will make certain that you feel confident and secure in our country. Have you ever heard anybody say that about Americans who maybe make a mistake on a tax return? Joe Biden wants to hire an army of over 80,000 IRS agents, and the amount of money we're talking about could be as little as $600. We're not talking about the guy that, that commits a major money deal, and he's, and, and he's dealing in millions or billions. Make a mistake on $600, and they're sharpening the knives for you. But if a bad guy comes to America and lies on their visas and lies on their application to citizenship, don't worry about it. We will take no action, even though the law says that is a serious felony and can carry decades in jail, not under Biden. If you're an illegal alien and you're a criminal, come one, come all, because for you, our country is the land of opportunity the land of opportunity to commit crime, 
a land of opportunity to undermine the security and safety of America and Americans. I want to understand what's in Joe Biden's head, because much as I can't understand what's in Putin's head, I can't understand what's in Joe Biden's head or Nancy Pelosi's head or Chuck Schumer's head or anybody else in the lunatic left. But where are the Republicans calling them out for all this? Nobody wants to talk about immigration or the lack of border security where it could impact people coming into this country to kill us. This is madness. Remember, the Republicans refused to provide Trump with the money for the border wall. Everyone has been bought and paid for by the globalists. Campaign contribution is Orwellian for bribe. Let's be crystal clear so there's no mistake. And when people say, oh, I don't take PAC money, political action committee money, they all do. Every politician takes PAC money. I don't care what they say, and here's how they do it. You ever hear about the bundlers? I mean, to me, it's like money launderers. They gather up those $10 and $20 campaign contributions, and they bundle them together and disperse it to the candidates. And what that does is to obfuscate the origins of the money, including money that comes from the PACs, the political action committees which get dispersed to the politicians in both parties as long as they do as the leadership tells them. This is madness. This is madness. China has made such inroads into our country. And and, and we have a situation. Well, let me just first give you the DEA statistics before we move on. So this is, again, according to DEA just a couple of days ago, DEA operates under the executive branch of our government. DEA works basically for President Biden. So even they had to acknowledge the following. Fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. A hundred thousand, more than a hundred thousand drug overdose deaths in the last year. Two hundred and seventy-five daily drug overdose deaths. This is what DEA is saying is happening right now as you're listening to my voice. Thirty percent annual increase in homicides in 2020, a U.S. record. Well, there's a record to be proud of. 70% of, of U.S. murders in 2020 were committed with a firearm. Sure, so the guns are the problem. No, it's the guy wielding the gun who pulled the damn trigger, who maybe was under the influence of drugs and was committing the crime to get money to buy the drugs. Or maybe it was a cartel member. Or maybe it was some other violent transnational gangster who came across the border and did the killings. We saw it in New York. The girl working at Burger King, I believe she was in college, didn't move fast enough, was killed by a guy who was here illegally from Jamaica. But the media didn't want to play up the fact that he shouldn't have been here. What are we doing? What in the world are we doing? If a government can't protect the lives and safety of its own citizens, then that government is useless and worthless. 100,000 plus drug overdoses, and we have fentanyl pouring across our borders in record quantities. What are we doing to stop the fentanyl? Obviously not enough. So when they say we're going to identify the drug networks, great. And now that you've identified them, what do you plan to do about it? You won't use the immigration laws to lock these folks up. And those laws are debilitating to drug organizations. I know. I had a desk at DEA. For 15 years. I had a desk at the FBI for 10 years. I had a desk at ATF for 10 years. I worked with city and state police. I worked with foreign law enforcement organizations. I was there because the authorities that I had as an immigration agent 
was instrumental in helping to dismantle transnational gangs and drug trafficking organizations and terrorist groups. But those immigration laws are off the books. Lie on the applications, which is a tactic used by terrorists, and this administration will take no action. Alejandro Mayorkas said so himself. And when he was, and as I mentioned when I did an interview at, uh, at Newsmax, and, and I hope you will check out the link and check out the interview, I talked about all these vulnerabilities and how Mayorkas, when he was, in point of fact, the head of citizenship and immigration services under Obama, ordered applications for visas to be approved when under the law there was no justification for approving the visas, even when he was told by the FBI and Homeland Security Investigations that at least one of the companies that had filed visas <clears throat> had a possible link to a terrorist group, Mayorkas had approved the petitions, approved those visas. <clears throat> so he is now running Homeland Security. How in the world does this help America or Americans? What is going on at the White House? What is going on between Joe Biden's ears? And you have the Democrats even asking Biden to stop importing Russian oil, and he won't. And you have the Democrats in Congress saying that, you know, we have to have climate justice. What is climate justice? <clears throat> Hire a defense attorney for, for the climate? Energy justice? What are we talking about? The language is bizarre. <clears throat> and by the way, when you had Biden at the State of the Union talking about how freedom will always triumph, what's freedom? In the United States, the First Amendment, if you haven't noticed, is under attack. Putin just shut off Facebook. And he now they just passed a law in Russia that if you speak out against the Russian policies and you, or you refer to the invasion as an invasion, you could be looking at 15 years in jail. Here we call it hate speech. I don't know what they call it there. Speaking the truth? You, you, you come up with hate speech, you're going to be canceled by social media, by the networks, by the mainstream media. God only knows. In New York, they wanted to give you a fine for using the term illegal alien to describe aliens illegally present in the United States. How closely does that resemble Russia? And Russia just did this yesterday or two days ago. We've been at it for a long time with the cancel culture. Words matter. Borders matter. Borders aren't written in chalk or, or crayon, folks. Borders have been drawn in blood. Look at the border now that is supposed to separate Ukraine from Russia. Look at all the blood. And for those out there who are concerned about petroleum and the environment, look at all the flames in Ukraine. Look at all the debris. Look at everything that's on fire. And ask yourself, do you think maybe some greenhouse gases are escaping in the Ukraine because we were so weak that Russia felt confident that they could attack Ukraine with impunity as they are, as they are, and kill lots of people? And I'm going to tell you, for me, there's a personal element here. I'm Jewish. My family comes from Eastern Europe. My mother was born in Poland. And when I saw those images of those families being separated at the train station, it really hit home. Uh, my parents died of cancer way back when I was in college. I still miss them terribly. I like to make the point that I still stand on their shoulders. They died within a year of each other. But my mother frequently would have nightmares to her dying day. And she would get up and she'd be all worked up, and I'd say, Mom, what's wrong? And she would say, I'm having a nightmare. I was back at the train station hugging and kissing my mother for the last time. 
she was separated from her mother when she was 13 years old. Never saw her again. I was named for my mother's mother because she died in Poland because of the Holocaust. So when I see those images of those children being torn apart from their parents, it hits home. You don't need to have my family's background or life experiences to feel that empathy. And the tragedy here is those kids are not going to be the same. And some of those kids may wind up growing up with personality issues. Some of them, because of the trauma and everything else they're experiencing, may become the next generation's headache because children that grow up under that kind of trauma very often uh, have issues as they get older, as they become adults. It's a self-perpetuating nightmare. And in the United States, if you dare question the authorities, God help you. You're attacked. People have lost their jobs. This is serious stuff. So for Joe Biden to stand there at the State of the Union and talk about freedom, and I want to know what freedom he's talking about. In America, it used to be a birthright. You could speak your mind without repercussions. There's a great song, um, what is America to me that Frank Sinatra sings? The town, I think it's called The Town I Live In, or has two titles, or What is America to Me? And one of the lines in that song is the right to speak your mind out. That's America to me. Try it today, folks. See if you can keep your job. So Joe Biden can stand there spouting whatever nonsense that rolls out of his mouth. But where's the freedom? And too many Americans have been intimidated, afraid to speak what they're thinking, a fear that there'll be repercussions. And, you know, freedom is a funny thing. If you fail to exercise it, you can lose it. It becomes basically a vestigial organ. We've got to have a spine and, and stand up to the bullies because if you show weakness to the bullies, they will come for you, just like Putin. He's a bully. He saw weakness, and look at the results. The president of the United States wears several hats. He's also referred to as the commander-in-chief of our armed forces also frequently referred to as the leader of the free world. Well, I want to know what kind of a leader he is. What kind of a leader is Joe Biden? Leaves our borders wide open, refuses to enforce laws that are designed to protect national security, public safety, public health, and the jobs and wages of Americans. One last point about his speech. He said we need to reunite families. And this is a point that nobody wants to talk about, left or right. Oh, my God, they've separated the families. People can come here on tourist visas and visit with their families and go home. That's why we have tourist visas. It's not that you have to give people a green card so they can be reunited with their siblings if they come to America and become citizens. You know, when I sat in that inspector's booth at Kennedy Airport, and they did that job for four years, so when I speak about this stuff, it's not conjecture. So many of these so-called experts, never made a single immigration arrest or, or reviewed a single application or did any of that. They, they live in la-la land in their, in their ivory towers in these so-called think tanks. Goodness gracious. I would sit in that booth, and when it was Christmas or Hanukkah or Passover, Easter, whatever the holiday, there'd be long lines of people coming in, and I would ask them, what's the purpose for your visit? Oh, my sister became an American 20 years ago, and every year we come back to spend two weeks for Christmas. Every year we come to spend a week for Passover, whatever. That's how you can be reunited, live your life in your home country, and so forth. But that's not what the Chamber of Commerce wants. They want to flood America with as many people as possible, because the more people who are here, the more money they'll spend, the more they will take jobs and drive down wages, 
So the profits of companies will go through the roof, even as American children are getting substandard education. We used to have the best education in the world. When Sputnik was launched, I am old enough to remember Eisenhower the day after it happened saying American kids are going to get the best training in the world in math and science so America continued to lead the world because math and science is the future. And today, what are we teaching our children? That there's 48 different sexes or variations of whatever? And when you look at what's happening at the train stations in Ukraine, something else for you to consider. These are legitimate refugees. There may be some bad guys mixed in. Let's remember that. Keep that in your mind. But mostly, what are you seeing at the train stations? women and children. And what are we seeing on our Mexican border where they were supposed to have refugees? Large, large numbers of military age, working age men, period. Not so many women, not so many children. Yes, there are some. There are. But how many young men do you see claiming asylum? When they're interviewed, what do they say? I can't find a job at home. That's not political asylum, folks. But Biden's letting them in so they can take the jobs and drive down the wages and destroy the middle class. Because I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine, and I basically said that Biden's immigration plan should be called the Overwhelm America Act. Destroy the middle class. You make every American dependent on the government just to get by, to have enough money to turn the lights on at night. And with that money comes a very big string. It's like when you were a kid and you had an allowance, your parents could tell you where you could and could not spend the money. Don't buy comic books. Don't go to the movies, right? Whatever. When you had your first job, then you could spend the money any way you wanted. But when you had an allowance, you had to do as you were told. These politicians are the quintessential control freaks, and they want to control you. That's what this is about. If you destroy the middle class, you make the citizenry subservient to the government, turning our whole principle of what America was founded upon on its ear. On its ear. So just give all those issues some thought, and and I'm going to keep imploring you. Speak out. Don't allow the other side to control the words you use. I use the term illegal alien, and people say to me, well, don't you upset people? And that's a very good question. And you know what my answer is? I sure as hell hope I upset lots of people. I want them vibrating this is my use of language. There's nothing hateful about my words. There's nothing inappropriate about my words. The curse words other words of hate. That's the inappropriate language, the N-word or anything that smells of it for any group of people. And when you hear about Black Lives Matter and the whole focus purely on black, throughout history, people of every flavor have suffered, have lost their lives, have been tortured, have been subjugated. Look at what's happening right now in Ukraine. So to simply say, unless it happens to a black person or a person of color, it's not valid. B.S., that's nonsense, and we need to speak out against it. And maybe if people would understand that the human experience is the human experience, and if we could learn the lessons of those who stood up to the bullies and the dictators and fought back and gained freedom or regained freedom, there's lessons in it for everybody, which is why I wrote an article for Front Page, and I hope after my program everybody will go and read the article. And what I said was, that critical thinking must replace critical race theory. Look at what people did to overcome adversity, not by being angry at the other people. What I wrote about in my article, 
is that instead of conflict resolution, which is what we should be striving for, peaceful conflict resolution, that's how you keep a civil society, in my judgment, critical race theory, is not about conflict resolution but conflict instigation. So we're at each other's throat, weakening America. And boy, oh boy, we know if you read some of my articles, Iran computer hackers did just that to fire up racial divisions in the United States. Divide and conquer. What did President Lincoln say? A house divided against itself cannot stand. When they talk about the men and women and children, they don't list 400 other types of cross-dressers or lesbians or, no, men, women, children. The women tend to take care of the children. That's the way societies generally work. I mean, I was a single parent for a while. I tragically lost my first wife when our son was a baby. So for several years, and it's a daunting task, let me tell you. Fortunately, all of our kids turned out really wonderfully. They all went to college and graduated with honors, but it's a battle. The most important job we have is being a parent. And now you've got an administration that's doing everything it can to undermine that parent-child relationship. Want to be declared a domestic terrorist in the United States? Not Russia, the United States. Go to a school board meeting and speak out against critical race theory. Everybody knows that children who grow up in stable, loving households do better statistically. There's always exceptions that prove the rule. The children who come from broken homes, homes where there's violence and drug use, they start out with two strikes against them. The ideal situation is a parent is a, is a two-parent uh, household with children who get the nurturing and the care and the love that they need. And that doesn't mean a parent who thinks they want to be a 12-year-old child's best friend. If you want to be a child's best friend and your child is 12 years old, I'm sorry to tell you this, get help. I am my children's best friend, but my youngest is now in his mid-20s. And my oldest, hard for me to believe this, is closing in on 40 faster than I want to imagine. But children need parents, and they need to be disciplined, and they need to hear the word no. My father, may rest in peace, and I would be upset with the decision that he made, would look me in the eye and he'd say, Mike, it's better you cry today than I cry tomorrow. They gave me standards and morality and the understanding that I was responsible for what I did. It was tough love. And when I lost them when I was in college, it was only because they had given me that tough love that I was able to soldier on, to do what I had to do. And, and, and for those of you out there who have problems with, with straight language, uh, clear language about sex, I had to man up. I had to man up. And I did because of the way I was raised. So teaching American kids to be resentful of other American kids is not a way to build a strong country. It's a way to take this country down. We need to reject it. We need to stand up against it. We absolutely should teach about slavery in America. We should absolutely teach about the Holocaust. We absolutely should teach all those things and then teach what America did in its quest for a more perfect union to pass civil rights laws and take other measures to end practices that were outrageous, immoral, improper. America is a work in progress, just as we all are as human beings. If we're going to teach about American history, then it should include everything, but it should also emphasize how, unlike any other country, America has worked harder than anybody to get rid of the crazy stuff 
the slavery and the discrimination. There's lessons in that, and there's optimism in that, that we overcame stupidity and bigotry to forge that more perfect union. But that's not what critical race theory is about. It's about declaring one group of people to be the oppressors and the other group to be the oppressed. That's not a prescription for success. Again, that's a a prescription for the destruction of our great nation. We need to reject it. We need to partner with our fellow Americans. We need to seek to find those things that make us most similar, not to emphasize the things that might make us different. We could celebrate our differences. I'm Jewish. Many of my friends are Christian. Um, It's wonderful to celebrate everyone's holidays. Celebrate different foods and different music and different culture. That's what makes New York a great place because we have such diversity. But at the end of the day, we should all remember we're Americans, something that these politicians that are trying to take this country apart don't want us to seem to remember. At least the radical lunatics don't. My father said that I would teach people how they should treat me by demonstrating what I'm willing to accept. We need to reject that nonsense and tell them where they can go. We need to be clear that we're not going to be intimidated, that we will exercise our First Amendment rights, and we will speak the truth. And if we upset people, they can get over it or they can get themselves a little puppy and they can hug their puppy. But I am not going to bend or allow anyone to intimidate me into using language that they approve. Not when the language I use is legally and factually accurate. Freedom starts with the truth and the freedom to speak the truth. We should all be advocates for that. I want to turn for a moment to China. I don't know if you folks saw the article, but apparently the president of China approached Putin at the Olympics and said, don't attack Ukraine until after the Olympics are over. And if you look at the timeline, that's exactly what happened. So you have to draw the conclusion that one way or the other, China is complicit. They're certainly helping Russia financially. Their design is on world conquest along with Russia. They want America to go down the tubes. And we need to resist this. We need to become adults. We need to stand up and grow a spine. So here we have an article, Fox News reporting February 23rd, Biden DOJ ending national security initiative aimed at countering China amid complaints about bias. So someone said that it's biased to... Expect that China will meet certain standards so we make it more difficult for them to send spies to our country. And that's a terrible thing. So let's end that program. Really. So just so we need to bring more spies to the United States. And this isn't about the Chinese people. There are many Chinese people who are decent and wonderful. I have Chinese neighbors who are happy to be here instead of in China. And when you see the violence being committed, against Chinese people here in New York, it sickens me. It sickens me. And part of it, I believe, comes out of critical race theory. When you give a wink and a nod to the notion, pardon me, Kermit the Frog seems to have come to visit me. I've been doing too much radio today. 
when um, you tell people that they can treat people differently based on their race, which is a critical race theory is, you're crossing a line. And you're basically telling some not very smart people that it's okay to treat people of a different race differently because that's what critical race theory is. Instead of saying we're all human beings and you can't hold someone responsible for those things that are outside their control, they're making people responsible and accountable for their race. Think about that. Think about that. That's what racism is. Attributing to person qualities or other identifiers based not on their actions, but based on their skin color, <clears throat> based on their ethnicity. When you let that beast out of the cage, suddenly some people will take some really outrageous actions. We've had many people attacked physically, raped, and killed in New York City, mostly Chinese women who were by themselves getting into their houses, walking down the block, being attacked with baseball bats, being stabbed to death in their own apartments. This is a dangerous situation. It's outrageous. It's so immoral I don't even know where to begin. It makes my head want to explode. I've confronted anti-Semitism. I can tell you it's not pleasant. It's infuriating. But that's why everybody should learn that every group of people has suffered one way or another because of the stupidity of bigotry, racism, anti-Semitism. They're all part of the same spectrum of outrageous conduct and beliefs that focus on someone's appearance, not someone's actions. If someone does something wrong, they certainly need to be held accountable. Under critical race theory, we're holding people accountable to something they have no control over. You have white skin, you're inherently evil. You're, yeah, I mean, think about that. How far is it to go from that to saying, oh, well, you know, Chinese people, I guess, you know, we, we can treat them horribly also, perhaps. I'm trying to wrap my brain around because it doesn't compute. I've always believed that we are all God's children, and again, that you judge people by their actions. That's something that Martin Luther King talked about. You judge someone by the content of their soul, not the color of their skin. Critical race theory does a 180 against that. And there are consequences. People are being attacked and people are dying because of this insanity. It needs to be rejected. And we need to have the guts to stand up and say, no, we're not going to treat people differently based on their color. <laughs> you would think that you shouldn't even have to have that conversation. You would think, but we're living in an upside-down world. We can right this world. We can straighten this out by having the courage to stand up <clears throat> and make it clear what we're willing to accept and what we're not willing to accept. We should be thrilled when anybody succeeds. It means the system works. I wasn't a very good student when I was a kid. I, I got great marks on, on SATs and IQ tests and all that, but I don't know if I had ADD or if I was just lazy or whatever the deal was. Most of my friends were graduating in the top of the class. Many went on to become surgeons and judges and so forth. But you know, my grades weren't great. And my mother said to me, instead of resenting your friends who are doing better than you, why don't you learn from them? 
Why don't you see what they're doing that works for them? And maybe if you copy what they're doing, you'll do better. Great words to live by, words of wisdom. My mother only had a fourth-grade education because of her background. But with that fourth-grade education, she went on to become the chief buyer of a dress company during the Depression. That was so successful that her boss became one of Roosevelt's dollar-a-year men because he was making millions of dollars. And when they asked him how come he was so successful, he would frequently point to my mother, who was only in her 20s, but she was his chief buyer at this dress company. And he said, that woman over there is one of the key reasons that I've been able to be so successful. There's a big difference between being educated and being smart. And I've met my share of dumb, dopey PhDs, and I'm sure you have also. There's one thing about being educated, something else about being smart. But her advice was was right. And to this day, I still follow those words of wisdom from both of my parents. Don't say something unless you can back it up with facts. You know, my dad used to look across the table disapprovingly if I ran my mouth, and he'd say, Mike, empty barrels make a lot of noise. It was his way of saying, you know, shut up, you know, put up or shut up. If you can't prove what you're saying, you don't have the right to run your mouth. And I have to tell you how many times I've testified in court or testified before congressional hearings or did an interview on a television or radio program. I got asked a question that perhaps I didn't have the answer to. And instead of trying to bluff my way out and, and BS through it, like a Joe Biden or some other politician, I would look the person in the eye and say, I don't have the answer to that question, but I can try to get it for you. Yes, I was raised that way. My mother used to say, you either have the facts or you're a BS artist. And she said, my son better not be a BS artist. And she was right. But it goes back to parenting. And it goes back to standing up for what's right. It goes back to growing the spine and taking responsibility. You look at those citizens in Ukraine. I love this quote from Zelensky, the president of the Ukraine, when Biden offered to help get him out of Dodge. I mean, what do you expect from Joe Biden, right? And Zelensky said, I don't need a ride. I need ammo. Wow. Now, this may offend people, but Zelensky, with that answer, demonstrated he was a real man. Did I offend you? Okay, I could live with it. That's cool. Too bad. We've got to learn to be adults, real men, real women who stand for something and who have the courage of their conviction to speak their mind clearly and accurately. And that's how we should be approaching conversations with our neighbors. Speak clearly. Back up what you say with facts. Don't make judgments. No attack on someone. You're stupid. You're an idiot. No, 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 no. That doesn't work, folks. That doesn't work. But the facts do work. If you go to my website, michaelcoutler.net, if you go to Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com, usinc.org, US Incorporated, my articles are there. I always, always, always include links to sections of law or links to, to materials that provide you with the facts. Facts matter. John Adams was right when he said facts are stubborn things. Take the facts and use them effectively. The facts, common sense, the law, morality, they're all on our side. This isn't difficult. We just need to have the ability to sit down with our neighbors and say, listen, we have to stop fighting. We're Americans. Look at what's happening in Ukraine. And I can tell you, many of my neighbors are from that part of the world. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. 
it reminded me of what happened after 9-11 to see cars with the Ukrainian flag on the hoods of the cars just two blocks from my house two days ago. It made me think of 9-11. This is then 9-11, but the casualty count is much higher. But don't think it's only over there. It threatens us over here. We are a global community. It's really important that we stake out our turf as Americans, that we seek to find those things that bind us together, not separate us. It's our enemies. It's our enemies who want us to be at each other's throat. And sadly, we have some people in political life who I believe are on the side of those people who would see this country evaporate. We have to figure out who they are. Elections have meaning. Elections have consequences. We should be proud of being Americans. We should be proud that it's America that, with England, ended slavery. That America was instrumental in the First World War and in the Second World War defending freedom. If you want to talk about the real anti-fascists, it was those American and allied soldiers who died fighting for freedom. Those were the anti-fascists, but half the kids in school now are clueless. I was on a radio show earlier today, Bobby Gunther Walsh. In fact, tomorrow I'll be on Dr. Dave Janda's program, Operation Freedom, on WAAM at 2.30 p.m. Um, East Coast time tomorrow. But I was on with Bobby Gunther this morning, and he said, you know, in, in uh, India and China, they're not teaching critical race theory. They're not teaching any of that garbage. It was an article saying that the emphasis is math and science. Sounds almost like what happened with Eisenhower after Sputnik was launched. And their students are being told that the key to success is become brilliant in math, become brilliant in physics and the other sciences, and you can go anywhere in the world and make a good living and, and be productive and happy. School is supposed to be boot camp for the rest of your life not an indoctrination center for the politically wacky. And, and that's what we're turning our schools into, and we've got to turn that back. We have to get involved with school board meetings. We have to get involved with town hall meetings. We have to find our voices. And it's not about being a Democrat or being a Republican. It's about being an American. I don't like either party. When you look at how much money flows into the campaigns, and I can tell you that I'm old enough to that I remember a time when people ran for office and you didn't even know how much money they raised for their campaigns. Today, it seems as though the lead story is Charlie Smith is running for the Senate, and we know he's serious because he's amassed a war chest of $4.3 million. Sounds like the Mecham Auto Auction. He's a serious customer for that car. He has enough money to buy the car. He has over $4 million. He must be a serious candidate for the Senate. How many times have you seen that article, folks? Is that what governance is about? I thought governance was about a vision for the future. Governance was about belief in your country and belief in your fellow American and a desire to serve their best interests. Boy, have we fallen quite a distance. Politics shouldn't be about how much money you have in your campaign coffers. Politics should be about what your vision is to make America country it could be, to move towards that more perfect union that the founding fathers aspired to create. It has nothing to do with money. 
Because when you allow it to become a matter of money, then what you're really talking about is corruption, aren't you? I couldn't take a cup of coffee when I was on duty as an agent. Verboten. I had a boss who used to say at the end of the meetings that we had, squad meetings, he said, as federal agents, it's not enough that you don't engage in wrongdoing. You must never even give the illusion of doing wrong. Look at those members of Congress. How many of them came to Washington with very little money, and they all leave wealthy? How does that happen? How do you become a millionaire on a paycheck of under $200,000 a year? I mean, you could save all you want, but the math doesn't add up. My Uncle Joe used to say, Mike, if you wonder about politicians, consider this. They're willing to spend more money to get into an elected office than the office will pay them for the entire time than they're there. What does that tell you? And he was right. We, the people, have to turn this around. The most important position in this republic is that of citizen, not president, not senator, citizen. And we need to remind the politicians that they are our employees, not the other way around. Not the other way around. They work for us, and when they don't, they are insubordinate. And if you have an employer, you know what happens if you're insubordinate. You're on the unemployment line. If you are an employer, you know you're not going to tolerate insubordination from those who work for you. Why, then, are we accepting the insubordination of the politicians that were elected allegedly to look out for our best interests, the best interests of our country, and as a consequence, the best interests of our children and their children? Crime is rampant. Joe Biden says hire the police. But nobody wants to talk about the fact that you have prosecutors acting like defense attorneys. So there's nobody defending the laws. They're just defending the criminals. And what about the victims? Collateral damage. Is that what criminal justice system is supposed to deliver? One-sided justice, if you call that justice? We can change this. We can change this. It's going to take some work. We have to sit down with our neighbors, and I think sometimes things have to get so bad that you can no longer ignore what is going on. I think things are at that point here in the United States. As we look at the vulnerabilities that we've become exposed to by what I believe is a morally bankrupt and corrupt administration, it's not that hard to sell. But don't just look to see if there's an R or a D after the candidate's name. Check out those candidates closely. Check them out closely. Because there were enough Republicans who didn't want the border wall, and it was George W. Bush who created the Department of Homeland Surrender after the attacks of 9-11. We need to make the politicians accountable and don't presume anything. Don't presume anything and try to meet with them. And if they don't want to meet with you and they don't want to attend town hall meetings, they need to be fired. When my boss said there's going to be a squad meeting at 0800 hours tomorrow morning, you didn't dare say to the boss, gee whiz, I thought I was going to sleep in tomorrow. You showed up early with a cup of coffee and, and get a good seat, as we all did. Same thing here. Politicians who refuse to participate in town hall meetings, they're being insubordinate. They need to go. They should be eager to attend the town hall meetings to share their visions with you so that you'll be happy to vote for them. You would think that that makes common sense. 
you would think. I hope that my program gives you food for thought. I, I know we're in a perilous situation right now. Uh, I, I do believe, though, that um, our best days are still ahead of us, but it's going to take a lot of heavy lifting by you and me and our neighbors across this great country to set things straight, to make the politicians accountable and responsible to we the people. That's why asking questions is so important. Don't ever forget what um, the French philosopher Voltaire said, you judge a person's intelligence by the questions they ask. My dad used to say that the only dumb question was the question that you didn't ask. So ask the questions. Sit down with your neighbors. Have those conversations. And make it clear to the politicians that we're on to them, that we're not going to take anything for granted, that we will make them accountable, that we are good employers, that we will make certain that they do what they're supposed to do and they keep the promises they made during their campaigns. It's so funny that we've come to accept the idea that politicians run for office and they make promises they have no intentions of keeping. Uh, the one thing that I have to say about Trump, much as he drove me crazy with his Twitter account and the way he explained things, um, gave me fits sometimes. But he was the first president in a long time who used to go through this list of promises made, promises kept. Every politician should be working to keep their campaign promises, not just using them as a way to con people into voting for them. If you bought a car or a toaster oven or a television that didn't work, you could send it back with, uh, under the Lemon Law, right? Politicians who do not follow through on those grandiose promises they made need to be sent hacking. And that's the authority given to us, we the people. That's what elections are for. So please be involved. Um, say a prayer. Keep those people in, in Ukraine in your thoughts. Um, it's a mess. It's a mess. But it's time for the United States to regain energy independence. We need to reach out to the politicians and insist that they push that. There is no reason for us to be dependent on any other country's resources, especially now. Especially now as the world stands potentially on the brink of a world war. The lunacy of talking about environmental justice as people are being bombed to death in their houses does not compute. Any politician who's stupid enough to believe that needs to be voted out of office. This is a serious situation, and we need serious leadership. And leadership sometimes can come from we the people. That's why I always like to remind you that democracy is not a spectator sport. Sit down with your neighbors. It's nice that the masks are gone now. Amazing timing, isn't it? A little easier to talk with one another and share thoughts. But let's unite as Americans. Let's focus on what makes us the most similar. And what should make us most similar is our concerns about the future of America, the future of our freedoms, and the future of our children and their children. Have a great weekend, everybody. Look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a wonderful weekend. Take care. Stay safe.